Well, good morning, Whitewater. Today is an awesome day. It's gifts uh, Sunday. We're going to have an opportunity for people who have brought gifts in this service to come lay them down um, as an act of worship and love to bless the foster care community with the foster care Christmas party we do. It's going to be awesome. But I just wanted to welcome you if you're new or if you've been coming here for a while. Just I'm so glad to see you. Me and my wife, Sarah, we love this church. We're so grateful for it. Um, we're parents. Uh, Sarah and I have two little kids. Uh, Novella is six. Um, she's going to be seven pretty soon. And our little boy is two. Wes was, uh, we caught him playing with the nativity scene. He was playing with the shepherds and the um, wise men and Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And, uh, and Sarah said, Wes, what are you doing? And he says, I play. And baby Yoda. <laughs> Uh, probably, we've probably got to make some changes to our parenting or something, so I'm just being vulnerable here. Um, so, man, we're so glad you're here. We believe everyone's on a journey, um, and our, our goal is to help people forward, take the next steps on their spiritual journey, wherever you're at. And we have so many different people that come from different places and life and backgrounds. Um, Jesus works with all of us um, as we move forward. I also wanted to mention... Um, if uh, the light in here gets like bright at certain points, I, I just want you to know we're, we're sorry about that. Um, and I want to apologize uh, about one particular thing. One guy uh, from the last service said the sun um, hit my head perfectly so that it was like just shining. He was like, it said, he said it was like the glory of heaven. And um, he said it reminded him of Thanksgiving because their turkey had a sheen on it. And uh, he said, so it was actually making me very hungry. So I'm sorry, and you're welcome if that happens to you. So um, let's jump right in to uh, our, our talk today. And I, I just am I'm so excited to, to talk about this. This is really the heartbeat of our church. Um, I'm going to be talking about walls and wells. And some of you may have heard me speak about this before and talk about this. Um, and I'm, we're going to hit a dimension that you might have heard. We're also going to hit some dimensions that might be new to you uh, as we look at two key stories today. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, a powerful person that was um, moving toward Jesus and, and learning about Jesus and a powerless person. Um, but before I jump into those stories, I just want to talk about the difference between w- walls and wells. So um, in Texas, they keep cattle in a safe location. They want to keep them from falling off cliffs and being eaten by coyotes. So the way they do it in Texas is they build a really good fence or a wall that keeps the bad things out and the good things in the things that they want, the cattle. Now, in Australia, um, they have a different approach um, in some areas. They, instead of building walls or fences, they, they dig a really good watering hole. They dig a well, and it keeps cattle in a safe location based on their thirst. And so it is in churches and in Jesus communities. There's two ways to build a community. A, a, a community that's built on walls and wall building, and a community that's built on wells and, and well digging. And um, what that amounts to is, is, is simply this, wall-shaped communities, and if you have your notes, you can pull those out, wall-shaped communities ask who's in and who's out. So the, the focus is on the walls, the focus is on who should be let in and who should be kept out. And unfortunately, um, in, in, I'm going to talk about church communities, this is in any human community, whether it's education or government or business, this is true, walls and walls are true in those communities, but I want to talk about the church that Jesus came to build. And um, unfortunately, when we're asking the question on who's in, who's out, our focus is all on the 
the walls, right? And who deserves and who behaves well enough that they can be in here. And, and we can build all kinds of walls in religious communities, can't we? Whether they're theological or they're ethnic or they're gender-based. or We can build walls that say, hey, you are in and you are out. And um, the focus is on the walls. The Bible has a theological term for that. It calls it idolatry. When we turn good things into God things. And when our focus is on the, on the wall, it's not on God. It's not on Jesus. So here's the, here's the second truth is well-shaped communities, not wall-shaped communities, well-shaped communities ask a different question than who's in, who's out. They ask who's moving toward the well and who's moving away. Fundamentally different question. So for us um, who follow Jesus, what's the well? What's the center? It's Jesus. It's God's love. It's his grace. It's his truth. It's God the Father's love, the Spirit, and it's Jesus at the center. And the, the, the love and the relationship that comes out of, uh, out of God. So who's moving toward Jesus and who's moving away is, is the most important question for a church like Whitewater. We want to be a well-shaped church that focuses on Jesus at the center. We want to focus on God at the center. That means that um, Jesus' teachings are at the center for us. That's what we focus on. His healing um, nature and his, and his compassion are at the center um, the, how we interpret the Old Testament and the New Testament, how we read the Bible, it all comes through the lens of Jesus. How we interpret our lives and the health of our lives and the flourishing of our lives, we don't base it on, on uh, you know, what's popular. We don't base it on how we feel. We base it on the person of Jesus. And Jesus was a person, not just a principle, not a precept. He's a person. And that's the beauty of a Jesus-centered community. Um, we want to dig wells. And um, in, in, a, in a wall-shaped community, this is in your notes, you, you have to believe before you can belong. You have to believe and behave and, and change yourself so that you can be accepted, so that we'll let you in. And you can be one of the insiders. And, um, and in a, in a wall-shaped community, when you have to believe and behave to belong, you create uh, Christians who think their primary job is to watch the walls and guard them. So we become the guardians, the bouncers, the security guards. And we're, we, like, we look for the, we heretic hunt, we look for the heretics, we look for people who are breaking the rules because the focus is the policies and the procedures and whether you sh- are good enough. Now, a well-shaped community takes a different tack. We don't want to create disciples who are bouncers and security guards, but we want to, we want to create this. In a well-shaped community, you can belong before you believe. In a well-shaped community, it's like we're all finding Jesus, and we all have different stories, and we're all at different points, and we're just like one beggar pointing another beggar to where the food really is. We're pointing him to Jesus, where, where the life really comes from. Amen? Now, I wanted to do this quickly, but I know these are some big concepts, but they're the center of our church. This is what we build our whole church on, that you can belong as you learn to believe, as you learn to change. And that means you can accept somebody without agreeing with them. Amen? You go on. We just had Thanksgiving. How many of you guys accepted people around the table without always agreeing with your cousins, your uncles, your nephews, and that annoying brother or sister of yours who have these certain political beliefs and, and it's really, you can, tell it, uh, you can tell a family that's based on walls or wells on how they gather around the table. I don't want to be getting too close to the heart here, but I kind of do. 
Now, one of the ways we do this at Whitewater, an example would be last week, we wanted to tear down some of the walls that surround uh, mental health and wellness and, and mental illness and brokenness. And so one of the ways we're, we're, we're trying to tear down a wall like that is just beginning to talk to it and talk about it and be real with one another and be authentic and say, look, at er, mental health is a spectrum. It's not an in or out, like I'm well and you're not. We're the, we're the well ones and you're the sick ones. No, our church is, it's, it's a journey and it's a spectrum and mental health, like all of us have areas of mental health where we struggle with anxieties and hurts and depressions and um, all kinds of things. It's a spectrum and something really, really severe to something that's mild, but because uh, it's the, the, the uh, organ of our brain, we, we can stigmatize it in our culture and even in the church. And as a church that digs wells, we wanted to just start knocking that fence down and begin talking about it and being a hospital for people. Amen? So um, here's a question for you. Well, two questions, actually. Um, when you hear me talking about wells versus walls, how many of you guys are yet have the yeah, but? Yeah, but what about dangerous people? What about like if there's wolves? There really are wolves and coyotes. There are people that don't mean well and can harm. Wells sound good, but, but what about safety, protecting? Do you guys have that feel? Come on, like we can be honest here. Um, we're gonna kick you out because you're not in. No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Um, no, it's a good question. And here's how I would simply answer it very briefly. In your notes, you can write this down. There's a difference between barriers and boundaries when we're talking about wells and walls. Uh, barriers are for the purpose of exclusion and judgment. Barri- we put up barriers to say you're out because we're judging you as not good enough and and, and we're, we're condemning somebody or a group of people versus boundaries get set up for the purpose of health and restoration. Health and restoration. There are family times in family. There's times in, um, in our friendships. There's times even at work maybe where, you, where someone gets so toxic and there's so much um, um, toxicity and anger or where you might have to put a boundary for a season not to punish not to condemn but to to restore like we I need you to be restored in a healthier point before we can engage so boundaries for me are different than barriers and I think that's how you keep health and uh, your community safe does that make sense so here's a question for you guys to turn and talk just for a moment but when you think about Whitewater, um, what are the essentials for digging wells? We're a community of belonging. So what are the essentials for creating a community of belonging before people believe? Go ahead and turn and talk with somebody. But at Whitewater, what are the essentials for belonging? What do you think? One or two? Ready? Go. All right. Would you agree that it's important to dig wells so people can belong and be accepted? Would you think it's important to keep Jesus at the center? And I think that's just, that is a radical concept that whenever the church gets away from, um, it, it ends up building walls unintentionally. And I would say, just so you guys know, as your pastor, as someone who loves Jesus, I build walls in my life that when I don't even realize I'm doing. And, and I think the key is just, uh, like someone said, keeping open-minded and humble so that we can see the walls that we've built or that we're focused on and get back to Jesus together. That's the community, helping each other turn back toward Jesus over and over. 
So what I want to do is I want to I go through two passages. I want to look at two um, spiritual conversations that Jesus has with two very different people, and I want to contrast them. One of the stories you might be familiar with, you might have heard me teach on, um, I'm going to be teaching on John 4, the woman at the well, but also John 3, where Jesus has a spiritual conversation with, um, with a, a, a social elite, a religious and very powerful man, um, in contrast with this woman at the well who's an outsider, outcast, and powerless. And we're going to look at how the gospel of Jesus uh, speaks and transforms both the powerful and the powerless. All right? So you guys ready? We're going to look at walls and wells in these two stories. I'm going to go through the first one a little bit quicker, um, and I'm going to slow down for the second story. So um, John chapter 4, we're going to start with the woman at the well. And let's look at, at the walls that get put up and how Jesus... Um, knocks him down and digs a well. In verse 5, it says, eventually, Jesus, he came to the Samaritan village called Sychar, near the field Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. It's an ancient old well. Um, And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well around noontime. So that's an easy one, right? There's a well right there. Any of those literal people are like, yes, I saw the well. So be paying attention. Where are the wells and where are the walls as we read through these passages? Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, uh, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. And he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So Jesus is tired, he's alone, and this woman comes, and he engages her. There's the first moment of Jesus digging a well of belonging and love. He disengages in the conversation. And so often I think it's just sometimes that simple, showing up and engaging. Now, it goes on to say, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So immediately, this is a wall, right? And it's a, what would we call that? She's she's like, Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans, so there's like a religious wall, and there's an ethnic wall that we see immediately here. Goes on to say, uh, um, in in this passage, she goes on to say to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So we see the ethnic, the religious, and a cultural wall. But we also see, she says, I'm a woman. You're a man. Why are you talking? In this culture, women were often seen as property. Uh, they, were not, they were at the very bottom of the totem pole. And she's like, I'm a, I'm a woman. There's a gender wall that we see immediately here. And Jesus just keeps blowing through these walls and digging a well. Check this out. He goes on to, to say this. Uh, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So he starts talking spiritual language, right? He's in a spiritual conversation with her. Look at her response. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our, our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals have enjoyed? So she, uh, she recognized there's a tradition and a history wall between them, right? Like, you, you, are you greater than Jacob? We get this from way back. And there's this like historic wall that she brings up. And, and she also, if you notice, she kind of thinks he's talking about physical water when Jesus is talking about spiritual and eternal water. So there's, a, there's another wall. It's like, I'd call it almost a spiritual um, wall, right? There, she thinks physical, he's talking spiritual. 
And Jesus responds to her and says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So all of a sudden we're starting to see, okay, he's talking about eternal life. He's talking about things of the spirit. He's clarifying what he meant by living water. And look at the woman's response as he continues digging a well. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. So we're starting to see where some of this thirst comes from her. And she still kind of thinks it's maybe magic, physical water. But her, her deepest desire is like she's alone and she's coming here alone. And this is unusual. Women usually, if they're going to get a, a water from a well, would travel together. So it's revealing to us some layers to her life. I don't have a lot of time today, but I will say that she would be seen as an outcast in her community. We're seeing that. Um, Jesus says, well, go and get your husband then. Well, I don't have a husband, she, she replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with right now. You certainly spoke the truth. And Jesus just puts his hand right on the heart. And here we see that she's, she's been in these relationships over and over. And this is a wall that we, who follow Jesus, we'd call a sin barrier, a wall that's built on sin. And, and we, We've talked about this before in our church, but often we'll think, well, it's her sin. It's her sexual sin. She's been with all these different men from the village. But in this culture, who's, who has the power to divorce? Women or men? The men have the power. The women don't. So is it possible, possible that, that she's an abuse victim and she's just been cast aside by man after man? So this sin wall could be personal it could be cultural by the men, or it could be both. Either way, it's a wall, and Jesus touches on the truth, and she immediately changes the subject whenever God really gets close to our biggest issues, don't we? She goes, sir, you must be a prophet, and then she ta starts talking about worship. And eventually, Jesus reveals that he's not just a prophet, he's the Messiah. And he, like, in one conversation, radically changes her through his acceptance and love and his truth. And then she drops her jar that she went to get water, but she didn't need anymore. She's got living water now. And she runs back to her village, shares her story, and she says, come meet a man who told me everything I, I ever did. And what she's saying is like, come meet a person, come meet a man who didn't reject me, but accepted me, even with my baggage. News, he knows the worst thing about me, but he still accepts me. And then she brings the whole town to Jesus. Amazing story. Now let's look at the former passage, chapter 3, with another person. We talked about the woman at the well, powerless, the social outcast. Now we're going to look at a social elite amongst the powerful. So here we go, John 3. You guys are doing good? This isn't too boring? Okay, most of you are, are telling me the truth. Um, there was a man named Nicodemus, it says, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Now, um, a, a few things before we move on, I think are really important to understand we're look, as we're looking at walls and wells and how Jesus helps people um, spiritually. It's to know a little bit about Nicodemus. The first thing is he's Jewish, he's religious, he's a leader, and he's part of the Pharisees. He's part of what was known as the Sanhedrin. It was like the ruling religious leaders. And back then, the way the Jews functioned is they saw things as a, what's called a theocracy. 
So it wasn't like a democracy. It was like a ruling group of religious leaders who ruled by religious law. And he was on that group. He was in that group. High elite status. Um, and you can learn this through various uh, biblical scholars. I learned this from, from Ray Bakke, but um, Nicodemus, if you look at his, his background, um, he's from a famous leading family. Um, his grandfather signed the peace treaty in 64 BC when the Romans came through and conquered Jerusalem and Israel. So in 64 BC, the Romans established Herod as the leader, as like the governor, like their puppet governor. And in, whenever they did a peace treaty, the most important leader in a community would sign it. And that leader was Nicodemus' grandfather. So he was from an elite family. His grandfather was like a leader of leaders. Um, and that meant he had the best education. He was born into the, one of the best families, the ruling families, wealthy, educated, um, and they are influential. And, and here's another thing, in case you didn't know about the Pharisees, to be a Pharisee, and especially on the, the Sanhedrin, the ruling group, um, you had to memorize the first five books of the Torah. The first five books, at least, and most of them had memorized a lot more. But he, he was a very intelligent person and memorized the, the five books of the Bible. I don't know how many books of the Bible you've memorized, but... I got some work to do compared to him. So it says this upper class elite religious leader, it says in verse two, after dark one evening came to speak with Jesus. He didn't want like other, most likely he didn't want other um, Pharisees to know he was meeting with Jesus or other people that he led to know he was meeting with Jesus. But he came to meet with Jesus and he said, rabbi, which means teacher. We, the Pharisees, we know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. He's like, he digs a well by engaging with Jesus in the secrecy of darkness, right? And says, hey, I want you to know that we know, but don't want other people to know that we know that you are from God. Jesus is like, uh-huh, I see. Okay, that's great. And Jesus replied to him, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again. Watch, just listen to um, Nicodemus' response. What do you mean, like born again? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? So we're finding out a little bit about Nicodemus' personality. Very literal. Like he can memorize things, but like on kind of social context, social intelligence, you know, like, are you kidding? You can just see his face just like disgusted, like, born again? What do you mean? This is disgusting. You know, you can just see this face just so disgusted. How is that possible? As he imagines being you know, like born again somehow, because he's so literal. Isn't that hilarious? You can see Jesus saying, man, you're killing me. He's like, really? Am I killing you? How am I killing you? <clears throat> just super <laughs> literal. My son uh, has not taught his face to lie yet, like most of you have. So like uh, when he smells something bad, he'll be like, ah, bad, smell bad, smell bad. Or if he sees something he doesn't like, he'll, just, he'll, he'll be like disgusted at something. He'll be like, ah, oh, no, dada, no like. Or if he's upset and he's angry, no, no, nap, no, nap. And his face just, he hasn't taught his face to lie yet. 
so interesting, so childlike in a sense to not be able to guard your face. And isn't that funny that, that Nicodemus is acting that way? And look at Jesus' um, response to Nicodemus. Jesus replied, I assure you no one can enter the kingdom of God without being, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives uh, birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. And just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. He's saying you like want to control things and you have to surrender to God's Spirit. It's really powerful what Jesus does in this, in this passage. And Nicodemus' response is, how are these things possible? How is this? He's like so like, he only sees from his perspective this wall is between him and Jesus. And Jesus is trying to, to knock it down. Check this out in this story. Oh, that'd be awesome. Thank you. <coughs> Some of you guys are like, hope he makes it through this. Your faces, you've taught them to lie. I'll ask some of you guys, was the sermon good? It wasn't boring? You're like, no, it was great. Faces totally lying the whole time. Thank you, Donna. So, this is really important. Jesus replies to him, you are a respected Jewish leader, and yet you don't understand these things. You're respected. You've got all the honor. You were born into a family of honor. You were born into a Jewish family. You're an insider. You were born to be a teacher. You've been educated. You've been given the best education that is out there that can be offered to anybody. You have been born into everything you have, and you need to be reborn. And he's telling, he's telling them, you are acting childish when you need to become childlike. Do you see that? He's breaking down this wall. He's like, you are acting childish and you think it's about prestige, you've been born into that, you think it's about influence, you, you're worried about what other people are going to think about you, you, you think it's all about your, the knowledge you have, but you are being childish. You need to become childlike, you need to be born again, be born into a new family. And what happens when Jesus starts breaking down this barrier and just planting some seeds for him to be thinking about and dwelling on? Um, when you're born again, when you become new, when you become childlike, you all of a sudden realize that you need a new education. Like he, Jesus is saying, you need to be re-educated as a child in the kingdom of God. You, you, you see yourself as a leader and you need to become a learner. You need to be born again. You, um, you think you're mature and, and that you lead, but you, you need to become a child who follows the, uh, the father again. You think it's about being wealthy. You need to give up like all your notions of wealth and influence and, and, just, and, and say that, that's nothing in compared to being a follower of Christ. You need to be born again. In this story, I'm gonna finish with Nicodemus, if you guys didn't mind. His journey is an amazing one. It's interesting that the woman in one conversation is transformed by Jesus and runs back to her village, but not so with Nicodemus. 
We don't see him until chapter 7. We saw him in chapter 3. We meet him. Jesus uses water. When he's talking about, to the woman at the well, he uses this, the wind as a metaphor with, with uh, Nicodemus and being born again as a metaphor. But check this out. In his journey, we see it pick up in, in chapter 7. After Jesus says out loud, all these Pharisees listening and all these people, he says, if anyone wants uh, water, come to me and I'll give water that will flow out of their life. It'll be spirit that flows out of their life. Living water will flow out of your heart. And he infuriates the Pharisees. Do you remember who's a part of the Pharisees? Nicodemus. He's part of that elite, right? So it makes the Pharisees so angry in chapter 7 that it causes the Pharisees to have an illegal meeting about Jesus. And they send temple guards, kind of like they're cops, they're police officers. They send police officers to go get Jesus and bring them before them to their secret illegal meeting. But when the temple guards, it says in verse 45, returned um, without having arrested Jesus... The leading priests and the Pharisees demanded, why didn't, you, why didn't you bring him in? You had one job. And they, they respond to the Pharisees, the, the guards, the police. They say, well, we, we have never heard anyone speak like him before. They responded and infuriate the Pharisees. Jesus was so, his teaching was so radical and so incredible, so amazing. He started converting the policemen who were sent to go bring him in to arrest him. And they didn't even bring him in because they were just like, I've never heard this before. And look at the Pharisees' response. You've been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked them. Is there a single one of the rulers of, of the Pharisees who believe in this Jesus? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. Is there any one of the Pharisees? And Nicodemus is like, <laughs> in background somewhere. These foolish people, they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them because we know the law and we follow the law. We would never break the law. And then in verse 50, Nicodemus, he says, uh, the, the leader who Jesus met with earlier in chapter 3 spoke up. And he says this, is it legal to convict a man before he's given a hearing? We know the law. We always follow the law. And he, he says, on a, just legal question. Is it legal to convict someone before they've been tried? And he's hinting, is it legal to be meeting like we're meeting? And look at their response. Look how they address his argument. Are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. And Jesus, if you actually know his story, he was born in Bethlehem. He's from Galilee and he's fulfilling all these prophecies from their own Bible. And they respond to his argument by saying, you're stupid. Shut up basically is their argument. Have you ever had someone argue with you that way? So we see Nicodemus moving toward Jesus, toward the center, toward the well, in, from a one conversation that starts in the dark to a soft defense of Jesus that's now in the light based on a legal question challenging the legalists by their own rules. And you go further in the last moment of, of, of Nicodemus' story that we know of is it's after Jesus has died. He's died on the cross. It's in chapter 19. And um, we don't see Nicodemus the rest of Jesus' lifetime until he dies. And this is when all the other disciples have fled and run away from Jesus. Two leaders from the Sanhedrin come out of secrecy to go public with their faith. Watch this. Verse 38. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus... Because he feared the Jewish leaders asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. 
And when Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body. Verse 39, with him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night, now comes to gather Jesus' body in the day. He's in the light. And he brought about 75 pounds of perfume and ointment made from myrrh and aloes. He's taking all his wealth. And he's saying, this isn't, this is for the king. And he's shifted from the kingdom of legalism and religion and darkness to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of Jesus, to the kingdom of grace. So what do we learn looking at the social elite and the, and the social outcast? Looking at the woman at the well and looking at Nicodemus. If you have your notes, you can write this down. Different people come to Jesus in different ways at different times. Different people come to Jesus in different ways and at different times. You notice that the woman at the well, like one conversation, she moves and she, she trusts in Jesus and runs to her, her town and shares her story. But Nicodemus, he's an academic, he's upper class. Sometimes it takes them longer, a uh, longer time to come to Christ because, you know, they're changing kingdoms in such a different way. And sometimes, you know, if we're wealthy and influential and um, or we're academic, we can, it, we, can, we can start building walls around us that keep us from moving to Jesus. Sometimes it's a really good thing and, we've, and maybe that world of academia or the way of thinking, it's taught us to think very, you know, skeptically. And, and so it, we just look from a lot of different perspectives and we want to make sure that we really believe what we believe before we, we jump into it. And we think about what other people will think. We think about the ramifications to our friends and to our wealth and to what we're all about. And, and so maybe that journey for some people that are in those kinds of worlds might take a, a little bit longer. I certainly have seen that. I have a friend who has like two PhDs he, was, um, he works in law, one of the smartest guys I know, and he, 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 he's so humble, you'd never know it. Took him about three years from beginning to b- belong before he believed. And it was just a process for him. It took a little bit longer. Let me ask you this. Is it a, which is okay, to come to Jesus quickly or to take your time? Yes, right? It's both. Good. You like my trick questions. I'm glad that you like my trick questions. Um, which is okay. To, to, is it okay for people who are powerful to come to Jesus or people who are powerless? Do we believe that we have a gospel that speaks to both and brings us all into the same family, makes us brothers and sisters in Jesus? Yes, amen. Um, some people it takes one convers- conversation with Jesus Others, it takes a few years and possibly your death to find Jesus. Like, you know, there might be some people who don't give their lives to Jesus that are my friends, you know, until they're at my funeral. Encouraging, right? Or maybe your funeral. And this is a process. This is a step-by-step journey. I think it's so important. We dig wells where people can belong and, and move forward at their own pace. And, and here's the, the, the last thing I really wanted to hone in on as a community is that means that we are sent, not stuck in our world. We are sent, not stuck in our world. Do you notice that Jesus sends the woman at the well back into her village and she brings people to him. She runs back to her world, her village, 
That was her world that she was sent back into with her word. Come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Come meet a man who knows the worst about me, yet he accepted me. And then Nicodemus, he's in the world of the elite. He's in the world of the academics. He's in the world of the influential and the powerful. And and he's sent into that world, back into that world, with his word, with his transformation. And and, and if you remember last week, we we saw this demon-possessed, broken man, mentally broken and wounded a man who meets Jesus and he's freed from darkness and, and he gets sent back into his world and he gets sent back to the 10 Gentile cities. And here's what I want to encourage you with. this reality that when, when we see Jesus and his church as a wall, we get scared and we get stuck in our own world and then we use words that divide people. But when we see Jesus as a, as a well drawing us to him, we see Jesus as a well and and his community as a well, then we are sent into the world with a word that invites other people to meet Jesus and to move toward him, not a word that divides us between who's in and who's out. Amen? And so let me ask you, like the the world and the word of the woman of Nicodemus and the demon-possessed man, she was sent to her village and her word, if I could put it in one word, was acceptance. I found acceptance. The man, uh, Nicodemus, he was sent into the world of the elite and into the Pharisees' world. And his word, if I could put it into one, was reborn. He was reborn. He became a child. And the man who was in spiritual darkness and mental brokenness and pain, if I could put it into one word, it's freedom. I wonder what your word is here today. What world have you been sent into? What word has got, like your word is the way Jesus is turning you or has turned you toward the well. In the last service, we had people share. And what I want to do is just take a moment and let you share together um, these two questions. What world and what word? If you could put it in one word. We had people who who shared, "I'm, I'm from the world of law and God's word for me has been compassion that changed me and is using it to change others. We had one who's, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a teacher and, um, and love. Another person, it was grace. Another person, it was empathy. So would you just for a moment turn to someone and, and try, to, try to identify, if you can, into one word, what's the world you've been sent into? Education, business, home, whatever it is, and what's your word? that Jesus has transformed you with. Ready, go. Talk with the person next to you. What I wanna ask them, and you can still be thinking on this, but could we have just a few people share their world and their word? Maybe just share your name, the world you're sent into, and your word. And if we could just keep it succinct so we can have a few people share, I think that'd be incredible. And uh, we have someone with a microphone. Um, Where are they, hey Mike? Oh, there we are, Ryan's got it. Um, so would someone be willing to kick us off? Your name, the world, and your word. Yeah, right here. Thank you for being the first one to go. That's always a little scary. He's coming up right behind you here. Um, sorry. Uh, we're sent into the world of foster care. Um, a lot of times it's hard, but we also see that um, the beauty that comes out of it and what the story that we're turning and moving toward Jesus is constantly giving grace to 
I guess you could say the um, birth families, because I was sharing that not only are they going through something that's extremely out of our minds that we can't even relate to, but we also see ourselves as struggling with um, something that's completely different, but it doesn't mean that it's any worse, that their sin is any worse than our sin. So wow. giving grace. Thank you. Thank you so much. So that, I mean, that's, that's amazing. We have, and every person in here is sent to a world with a word and foster care and grace. I mean, there's so, so much power there. Who else would be willing to share? Right over here. I can yell. <laughs> I'm Lee. I'm a graphic designer by trade, and, and God's really thrown me in a group of creative people, artists, musicians, um, actors, movie people. And um, for me, the word is appreciation, and by that I mean um, most artists are um, accepted by churches, and that translates into tolerated, don't quite understand, but God made you creative, he gave you your talents, and he wants you to use them, and he appreciates the work that you do, so make him proud. Thank you, that's awesome. So the artist, the world of art and creativity and appreciation in his word. Who else? Right over here. Um, my name is Ty and um, had some struggles in my life with uh, alcohol. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> um, I feel like I've been sent into the uh, world by God to um, help in recovery and the word for that would just be freedom. Um, I've been so blessed to um, have been able to be freed from my habits. And I know there's so many people that struggle with habits, hurts, hangups, that um, I feel like that is definitely the world that I've been called into. So. Thank you, Ty. Yeah. That's incredible. We have time for a few more. Um, there's one in the back here. Hi, good morning, everybody. You don't have to touch that. <clears throat> uh, my name is Patrick, and I am brought into the world of the restaurant industry. Um, and I would say my world is, or my word is transparency. Um, just putting it all out there for the world to see. Um, a lot of my coworkers are shocked that I am a believer just because they say I don't act like one. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But uh, I just know that, you know, I, I just live a life of uh, transparency and authenticity and um, it's kind of fun to have those questions and for people to come up to me and who don't really believe and, you know, ask for prayer or just to have a conversation about religion. Or they've lived their entire life with this idea of, like, who God is and um, I just get to be there to shatter that mindset and break down those walls and, you know, just to be an example. We get to be Jesus with skin on in, in our careers and our environments and our daily lives and so... Yeah, why not play the role? Thank you, Patrick. That's awesome. We got time for one more. Right here. Um, I grew up in a church that um, I felt, um, this is personal, I felt 
focused mostly on fear, the fear of God. I never got that. I never related with that. And then at the age of 17, when I made a profession of faith, it was grace. And that totally spoke to me. And um, I have been focusing on that ever since, and the grace of God, and, what, and that draws people in as opposed to keeping people out. Well, that's incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much. Can we give a hand to the people who shared? And... Um, I just want to close with, with these thoughts. Um, what if every person in this room really learned the world that Jesus was sending them into and the word of transformation that he's sending them with? Some of you might be learning like that. Well, like, well how is God changing me? But like as you dig, as you follow him, like it'll become clearer and clearer. And here's the amazing thing. Um, the, um, Nicodemus, in his conversation with Jesus, he was the first person to ever hear John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And I did not come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Nicodemus was the um, only person that had those, that verse given to him. We think of it like everybody knows that. It's like a biblical concept. He probably carried that with him. For, that was his word. And see, it, Jesus then was sent into every, our world with a word for every individual. Jesus has an individual word, an individual transformation for each one of us. And in that sense, Jesus gives us hope. Amen? And here's what our our belief is at Whitewater. We are all sent into a broken world to bring um, the whole person and the whole community into a flourishing life with God. And so as we sing our next song, we're going to be showing our church in action, entering the world of foster care and blessing foster kids and families by laying our gifts down um, and saying this is our offering of generosity and love. And so guys, as we worship this next song, just be thinking, we have a God who entered our world to send us back into the world to love it and to bless it. Amen? All right, let's stand and I'm gonna pray. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful for you. Would you use this church, Lord? I'm just blown away at all the people who are moving toward him. Blown away at every story that's in this building. Lord, you have a plan for them. You love them. We're grateful for you. And today, would we give you our worship and our compassion? We're all called to compassion in you, Jesus. Amen.